Doherty, the 6'7 sophomore from East Meadow, New York. Leadership is learned. A starter on Coach Dean Smith's legendary 1982 Tar Heels National Championship team with Michael Jordan. Jordan comes down with a rebound. Clears it away to Doherty. Doherty going in against Floyd. For the layup, it's good. Leadership is earned. Head coach at the University of North Carolina and the University of Notre Dame. You notice Matt Doherty. He is up working every second of this ballgame. Leadership is taught. Public speaker, author, and executive coach. And leadership does not require a title. This is the Rebound Podcast with Coach Matt Doherty. Welcome to the Rebound Podcast. I'm Matt Doherty, and I'll be your host. On this podcast, we focus on the topic of leadership and overcoming adversity in an open and raw kind of way. We discuss failures and how to rebound from them. I became passionate about leadership after being forced to resign from my coaching job at North Carolina in 2003. I went on a leadership journey and realized it may be the most undertaught topic in formal schooling, yet the most important. I'm excited today because with me is Olympic speed skater Dan Jansen, gold medal winner in the 1994 Winter Olympics. Dan, welcome to Rebound. Hey, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Oh, of course. Real treat for us and and our listeners. Uh, Tell us about your childhood growing up in Wisconsin. Yeah, so I was uh, youngest of nine kids, Um, had... uh, eight older brother and sisters, five girls, four boys in our family. And I was a baby. So, you know, by the time I was four years old, they were already got me a pair of skates and off I went. Cause they, all of them skated before I did. So they just kind of took me along. And, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up playing all sports. I was a good athlete and loved all sports. And, uh, but skating, you know, I, growing up in Wisconsin, it was actually also, I guess, product being a product of my environment. I grew up uh, just two miles from w- what was at that time the only 400-meter speed skating oval in the country. Um, and it's still only – it's covered now. It's indoors. Um, it's still only one of two covered ovals in the, in the United States. So um, grew up obviously very close to that and uh, – by the time I was, I guess, 13, 14, I was national champion in my age group. And that's when, right around then is when um, I sort of knew that I wanted to go to the Olympics. I, I watched uh, Eric Hyden, 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. I watched Eric win five gold medals. We only have five races in our, you know, in the individual races and he won them all which will never be done again everything from 500 meters to 10,000 meters and uh, I knew then I wanted to go to the Olympics and no dreams of, of a medal at that point or certainly not of being another Eric Hyden but I just uh, the, the Olympics were just a dream to me at that point and it was it was a fun dream to chase at that age, 13, 14, you're, you're in basically probably eighth or ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your everyday like then? Like how how was it so focused on the sport you became to love? What did you give up? What sacrifices? And they might not have even felt like sacrifices at the time. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, I think uh, maybe at at 14, not so much. You know, I was, I was as I've still – still competing in other sports. And so it was, uh, you know, winters, it became, you know, very, you know, 
it was what I did every day after school and, you know, go to the ice rink and skate and practice. And then we'd have competitions on the weekends. I guess though, when I was 16 is when I made the decision that I'm going to, I'm giving up all my other sports. It's only going to be skating. And at that point, it's really, um, it really becomes, <laughs> you know, I don't, I say your life and I don't mean there's nothing else in my life. I just mean, it's it's summer training you know all summer long in the off season it's two workouts every day um and you know with that it, it becomes it it's it's not only your passion but it's you know it is it truly is kind of a full-time job and it's so it's it's what i focused on really from that point on and and who supported you with that i mean when you have Nine, nine kids in the family, you know, yeah, right. that, that's, you got a couple of station wagons or, or a small bus. I mean, you have to <laughs> we, get to these practices and, yeah. and, and, you know, we had, we had all of those, um, you know, that's a good point. And, and it was, it was hard. So we, you know, my dad was a police officer my mom was a nurse. So with nine of us, we didn't, uh, obviously, you know, you can do the math on our finances, but we, they just kind of found ways, you know, and, and, uh, one, we joined the local club and then, you know, you got uh, ice time and dues. It's not like, you know, it wasn't as expensive as a sport like, you know, figure skating when when you're out there. There's only a few of you on the ice at one time and, uh, you know, you're paying all that ice time or hockey with all the equipment. All we really needed was a pair of skates. And, uh, you know, obviously it's more than that, but um, it, we we made it work and uh, boy, it, it was fun times but you know it's funny because now as i said a lot of the tracks most of the competitions are held indoors now um on these huge you know 400 meter ovals but back then it was outside and wisconsin in the winter as you know is is not a warm warm place so we had to spend a lot of cold mornings and evenings uh, windy and just brutal but uh I guess it makes you tough, right? Yeah, it makes you tough, and and also you really know who your friends are, uh, who who shows up to support you in those races. So true, and it's it's funny, which was mostly family, uh, you know, your parents and other kids' parents, and but uh, yeah, that's uh, good memories. Yeah. All right. Um, Now, leading up to the Olympics, uh, you have to try out for the Olympics. Uh, the first Olympics, I'm assuming you tried out for 1988. Uh, Well, you know what? My first Olympics was actually 1984. I was 18 and, um, yeah, I qualified for the Olympic trials. You have to, you know, skate certain time standards to to skate the trials. And I was already, uh, one of the top 500 meter skaters at 18. And I actually won the Olympic trials and made, uh, made that team. And so my first Olympics, it's interesting because people obviously remember the 88 games when my sister passed and I fell, but 84 was in Sarajevo in Yugoslavia. And that was like, for me, kind of the, the dream that I had set when I first started dreaming about the Olympics, um, you know, all of a sudden it came true. Here I am, I'm representing the United States. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm just a kid, basically one, I was just fresh out of high school, but um, uh, you know, that's the one that I remember so vividly because it was all that work. I finally made it here and it, it was, 
um, you know, the only time like I was more nervous at the trials than I was at, at the Olympics um, because I just wanted to be there, right. you know? And, and the funny thing is I, I finished, I almost won a medal. I got fourth place. I missed a bronze medal by just over a 10th of a second. Um, but it was, you know, kind of what I learned that year uh, stayed with me forever because I, I, I was really proud. You know, I got fourth place at the Olympics. I'm 18 and I'm thinking, wow, this is great. Well, I come home that year and, you know, there's press, there's my parents, friends, there's my friends. They're, they're like, God, gee, fourth place. That's too bad. You know? And it was like, (laughs) Oh God, um, I'm like, wait a minute. Do you understand what just happened? You know? And, and, you know, and, and, but what the press does, and and as you know, from your, you know, your basketball career, it just, it's so much about winning and about medals and the Olympics and that if, you know, somehow fourth place can be looked at as a failure and, and it's just, it's just wrong, you know? And yeah, look, a couple games later, I, I was supposed to win and I got fourth and that was a different feeling for me, but, but it's still, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be looked at as, as failing. Well, when you're fourth in the world, Right. You know, right. Uh, uh, <laughs> a lot of companies wish they were fourth in the world. <laughs> yeah. Good uh, and you're right. Now, now you have this expectation. It, it's, it's the, the dream, the, 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 the skates, a pair of skates and a dream. You had that yeah. at 16, two years later, I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. You're going through the Olympic ceremonies, you know, uh, the, the walking on the, you know, yeah. the, the, field or whatever the ceremony opening ceremonies were yeah. that had to be unbelievable and then you almost win i mean you talk about yeah. 10th of a second now the expectations probably change dramatically right yeah, you're, for sure. you're the favorite to win the 19, 1988 winter games in the 500 and the thousand meters right yeah. well yeah for sure the 500 the thousand you know certainly a one of the guys as well. Yeah. Because, you know, after 84, so then it, it, it progressed just like you would think it was 80 the following season. I won my first um, medals at the world championships. The next season, 86, I won my first gold medal at the world championships. And so and then 87, I was sick. I had mono, but came back in 88. I was strong, feeling great. Um, won the world championship one week before the Olympics. And, and so um, you know, but, you know, then the side story of that whole thing happened a year leading up to those games. And, and I guess it was January of 87. My sister Jane had just she's the youngest of my five sisters. She had just given birth to her third little baby girl. And uh, she was only 26 at the time. And, uh, you know, not no symptoms or anything. They were just drawing, you know, taking routine blood tests after the baby and they found her platelets were real low and she was diagnosed with leukemia. And, you know, when that, when that happens in your family, you know, you know, every one of us has been touched some way by cancer, some form of cancer, but when, when it happens to somebody else, you just think of it as, you know, that's, that's cancer. And, but you don't really know what that, like, for instance, I knew leukemia was a cancer of the blood, but, I didn't know anything about it other than that. And and all of a sudden Jane gets diagnosed. And I mean, I, at the time too, I remember coming home from the track my brother was in the living room with my dad and, and I could see he had tears in his eyes. And that was just 
rare for for the, my brother. And you know, I said, "What's wrong?" And they, they said, "Jane's Jane's got leukemia." And I I just kind of looked and I go, well, "What you know? So what do we do? What what can what do we do about this?" And he looked at me and he said, "He goes, you usually die from leukemia, you know." And I I just floored me and went in the bedroom. I just bawled my eyes out and. You know, from then on, it was like a, all right, we're still going to do this as a family. We got, we do have a, a load of us, and we can all get gather around her and be supportive and and do whatever it's going to take to get her through this. And she was positive, and you know, all of that. And then we, you know, but a year goes by, and uh, just so happened, you know, that she passes away on the very morning of of the 500 meters at at those Olympics. So. Just strange timing of it all, uh, and then as you know, as you probably know, I you know I I did try to to go out there and, and perform, but well, uh, well, let me interrupt. You, you, so you your your sister was in Wisconsin, yes, and you were at the Olympics, and the Olympics were uh, where at this time they were in Calgary, Calgary, and so. and so here's the the blessing in all of this for the, uh, the the week before when I said I won the world championships. They happened to be held that year in Wisconsin, in my hometown. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and so I, I skate there. I win the world championship. I, I go to the hospital right after James at the hospital, and you know, take her my medal and show her. And and it was odd because we knew she wasn't well, but I had none of us had any idea she was going to be gone in a week. I I literally the the my Olympic race was a week from that day. And, um, and I left the hospital and I said, you know, cause after the Olympics, I was going to go back to Europe, finish the world cup season, be back in March. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll see you in March, you know? And, uh, and lo and behold, one week later she was gone. So you're in Calgary. Yeah take us through the day of the race. You get this news, you try to race. Oh man. And, you, and, never and, forget and what, it. So. what happened at the race? And I'm, you know, this is why, like, this is when I talk about, um, this is, uh, open in a raw kind of way, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're getting a feel, yeah. we're getting a feel yeah. what a little bit of what you felt. And, yeah, and I appreciate so, you sharing. You know, Obviously, having won the world, I was skating really well. I felt great. Um, get back up to Calgary. Um, I that year I passed the opening ceremony because uh, the 500 meters was the following day. Now, opening ceremony at the Olympics, you're walking, standing for hours and hours, you know, and so not something I, you know, you have to take it as an athlete. What's coming up for you? And so I, I passed on that one. I was in. I, did the one in 84. Anyway, the, the day before, uh, I'm on the ice. I feel amazing. And, and sometimes, you know, when you know you're on and you just feel your body feels great. Technically I felt good. I just felt solid on the ice. I, I just felt like I know that nobody can beat me if I, if I go out and just skate my race. So, um, let, you know, less probably 12 hours later, the morning of my race in February 14th, it's a uh, anniversary is coming up and I, uh, it's Valentine's day. So I, um, it's the morning of my race. The race wasn't until 5 PM, I think, cause it was 
it's going to be live um, uh, on ABC at that point. So I, uh, the, the phone or somebody knocks on our, we're in the Olympic Village, knock on our door at 6 a.m. I knew immediately mm. something was wrong. Well, my dad had that. He was up there and he, the day before my mom asked him to come home because they knew she wasn't doing well. So anyway, the phone rings at six. I get a knock on the door. You don't, nobody wakes you up, you know, at six on your day of your race, unless <laughs> in this it's emergency. So I go get down to the phone in the village and I'm just shaking. And, and sure enough, they said, Jane, you know, Jane's here. We're here with her, but she's not going to make it through the day. Her blood pressure has dropped. And, and we just wanted, you know, you to be able to say goodbye. And so, you know, then I'm like, oh, my God. So I kind of go through that. And then it's like, okay, so what do I do? You know, I'm I'm still, I mean, looking back, I'm still just a kid. I'm 22. Um, what do I skate? Do I not? Do I come home? Do I? So we kind of all discussed it together. And, you know, I, I just remember mom, my mom said, you know, just, you know, it's, it's your call, but you know, just what, what do you think Jane would want? And I, that right then I knew that Jane was a super sensitive person. And if I would have pulled out of the Olympics, you know, she was my biggest fan. Um, and she would have thought, you know, you pulled out cause of me, you know, what are you thinking? So <laughs> with that, you know, I, I said, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And, but what happened was it's, you know, Another thing I learned that day is, is when we perform, um, you know, at, at the highest levels, and you know this as well, it's, it's of course, it's physical, um, but the mental side is just, just as important, if not more important at certain times. And I didn't normally before a race, you know, there's so much mental preparation. Of course, you're doing the warm up physically and, and getting that ready, but Mentally, I'm going through the race in my head a hundred times. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm visualizing. I'm doing all of that. Well, this day was zero of that. I thought, you know, I, I, my mind isn't there. My mind's really at home. But I'm gonna, I'll warm up. I'll go do this um, and kind of put myself on automatic. And man, from the from the day before when I knew I couldn't be beat, mm. I got on the ice for warm up that night, and I knew. I could, I, I, I couldn't, it wasn't like, it was like they weren't my skates. They weren't my legs. I couldn't, I was shaking on the ice and it, I didn't feel nervous. I just, my body was a different body. It was the strangest feeling. And then, um, yeah. So then I, I go to the line, I skate first hundred meters and very first step into the first turn and I slipped and I was down. It was that fast. So it was oh, a tough day. Yeah. And then four <laughs> days later, and a thousand mm -hmm. meter, you started yeah. out great, yeah, but fell again. Yeah, I go through six hundred. I'm leading. I'm on a world record pace because this time I had three days to kind of get my body back to feeling like my body, and it did, and I was doing great. And I get the backstretch with a half lap to go, and I catch an outer edge. <laughs> and normally, I would say ninety nine percent of falls in our sport are on the turns, right? Cause we're going 35, 40 miles an hour. You got to turn left and um, you know, the force wants to take you straight. And that's usually where the falls happen. And I just caught an outer edge on my right skate and 
boom, when that happens, it just throws you down. And, and it was just like that. I was down again and man. And then I remember after that, I was just like, okay, let's go home. You know, I just, now let's go home and say goodbye to Jane because this, uh, you know, this is obviously not, not what we all dreamt of. Now in, 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 in your sport, there, there are events like the world championship and, and other mm-hmm. events, but yeah. you know, everyone looks to the Olympics, sure. you know, so four years of prep, you go from 84 to just being happy. You're there. Yeah. Then you go to 88 as the favorite. And you not only, I hate to say lose the Olympics, because you know, you don't really lose the Olympics, but mm-hmm. you don't win a medal. Right. And you lose your sister on top of that. Yeah. You know, and you talk about adversity. That's talk about double whammy. Yeah. How do you come back and 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 because the investment of emotion and time, there's no guarantee. And now you're getting a little older, but there's no guarantee that you're going to put all this work in. Yeah. And and have a chance in 92 to win. Correct. So you know, how, how do you decide that? Who who do you lean on? What what inner strength? Is it your faith? Is it family? Is it friends? How did you make that conscious decision? I'm going to come back from this. I think it is a little bit of all of those things you mentioned. You know, certainly we we're a family of faith. Um, certainly the family all sticks together. And then, you know, my, my coach, um, all of that. And I, you know, after that happened, um, I'll tell you, it was interesting because when I did, I did make, uh, the decision shortly after that, you know, I'm not done yet. I'm, I was still getting better. I was still, I knew my potential and I think everybody did at that point, but, but you're, you hit it on the head when you said there, there are just no guarantees. That's what I think it's the, the, toughest but also the greatest thing about the olympic games it's what makes the olympics so special it's what makes i think what makes people watch the olympics with such enthusiasm with such you know feeling you know i still watch and i i feel for these athletes you know and and i always did and i'm i'm assuming that's why the reaction was so big you know with what went on in my career but um so without that you know, guarantee all you can do is prepare, 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 and and be the best that you can be. Like you can't control others, and you certainly can't control, you know, the world around you. You but you can control your world, and and so I got very good at that. Kind of compartmentalized a lot. I'm 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 a, you know, I'm kind of an introspective person anyway. Um, I like to. I have no problem being alone and a lot of our training was ours by myself or with, you know, maybe just a couple other teammates, but a lot of it's alone as well um, in the off season, especially. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I just never, and the, you know, the other thing too, and, and I think it's so important with, with ath- athletics, with uh, academics, with business is, is, like you never, uh, I don't think you ever reach your peak unless you just love what you do. And, and I, I knew that I loved what I did. Like I, I enjoyed even the training, the, I mean, 
busting our asses like every day. I loved it. I loved the feeling of, of walking away from a training session, just barely being able to walk. You're so tired or, you know, because I always knew that the, that long-term goal was out there. Um, then you make the short-term goals, you know, to reach along the way. And so it was just, it just became a process for me. And so, yeah, I kept going and little did I know, you know, there were going to be a lot of uh, success along the way, but then of course, you know, the next Olympics didn't go my way either. Yeah. I, I think one of the things uh, successful people do, and I'm in the, in, in, in uh, the middle of reading uh, Shackleton's way and he was an, uh, an explorer mm-hmm. and went to the South pole and, and uh, on a on a ship called Endurance, and they didn't really they didn't make the goal, but mm. uh, they he saved all the men. And they talk about you know the biggest thing with him was really uh, his his optimism. And, and and I think as a especially by yourself, you know now you have a coach, but at the end of the day, it's an individual sport. Yeah. So talk. Talk about visualization, like, uh, and I think we all need this to pull ourselves out of bed. Whether you're running a company, running your family, whatever you do as a leader, we all lead in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. What was your visualization when you were preparing for the '92 Olympics? Um, you know, when you would kind of be by yourself in the car at a workout, sitting down. Yeah. I, um, so I got, I got really good at visualization, but probably not, um, not really good until the last, like from, you know, 91 to 94, probably the last three or four years of my career. But I learned about it through others, through, you know, sports psychologists that I worked with, through some coaches. And for me, yeah, it was always, um, you know, just, uh, yes, of course, seeing, seeing the race, you know, going through that in your mind, but, but for me, it got, um, so I think there's different ways, you know, some people see themselves, you know, sort of from the third person, they see almost like they're watching television and they see that themselves racing. But for me, and I believe, I truly believe visualization is, is, more effective when you're visualizing in the first person. So for me, I would see almost tunnel vision, see what's ahead of me and only what's ahead, meaning like the track Mm -hmm. and my lane. And, um, but also it, it, it's a, it's more than just a visual thing for me. It's a, it's a feel I could close my eyes and sort of my body starts moving because, you know, I'm, I'm going side to side with my pushes um, so I could get, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, by the end, I could get to a point. So I, let's say I would think about what winning time might be that day. And maybe it was, you know, I was the first person to ever skate 500 meters under 36 seconds, which was a big, big deal back then. Um, and so I would, I would say, all right, 35, you know, 92 or whatever, um, kind of in my head. So I'd go through the race in my head. I'd hear the gun. And I'd do it all, and I'd, I'd time it. I when I started, I'd start a stopwatch, and I'd feel my strokes, feel the race, and I could get to a point. Sometimes within hundreds, but usually within tenths of a second, and never without, never like outside of a second. 
and I wasn't counting. I wasn't saying 1,000, 2,000, like it was my strokes and seeing the race. And I got that good at, at um, visualizing because I did it over and over. So that was good. But you know, there's also part, you know, people tell you, uh, you know, see yourself on the podium and see all that. For me, it was like, yeah, but that's, that's after, like, mm-hmm. that's going to take care of itself. Like, first you got to take care of business, you know, don't get ahead of yourself in terms of seeing yourself on the podium. So not saying that's wrong, but for me, that wasn't something I wanted to necessarily see. It was more about the process. Mm -hmm. About the process. You talk a lot of great coaches talk about the process. Um, Nick Saban, big on the process at Alabama. My coach, Dean Smith, Big yeah. about the process. Bill Walsh, the famous coach of the San Francisco 49ers, the score will take care of itself. Yeah. If you do what you need to do, and I love what you said earlier about controlling what you can control. And yeah. that's all we can do as as business people, as athletes, is control what you can control. Show up on time with a good attitude. Right. You know, Stay a little later. Offer to help. Smile, bring good energy to the workplace. And then, you know, then you may get to stand up on the podium with a gold medal. Exactly. But at least at the end of the day, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I did my best. Yeah. And if that means it's fourth place, this is, I think, something, too, that we all, especially in today's day, Dan, with kids, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in today's day because when you and I grew up, we're both uh, very similar in ages. I think I'm probably four years older than you. You know, you really could just worry about yourself because we didn't have social media and comparison games are the work of the devil. So, so you could stay in your lane and put the blinders on and go to the ice and work on your sport and really not worry about what other people are putting on you. Now kids see social media and they see, well, I only have 5,000 followers and you have, you know, 10,000 followers or, or look at that person there at the beach on a yacht with an umbrella drink and I'm grinding it out in a factory. Yeah. How did you block out the expectations of the media of could be even family members where you say, this is me, this is my race, I'm going to stick to my game plan and and stay, stay to it. And what advice do you have for people, yeah. kids, businessmen, yeah. you know, people that live in communities, they, they want to keep up with the Joneses? Yeah, it's, it's an awesome question. And your points are great because, you know, um, I've thought about it a lot and and how different my journey would have been in today's time with, with social media, like we, we didn't have that, like email was just beginning back then, you know, in 94. And it was, um, you know, I, I remember going to, uh, so my thing, like during the games, I remember going to the USA house, which is right in the village, you know, big village. And it's just where us Olympic committee headquartered, you know? And so, but athletes were, we could go in when we needed, but for me, my story at that time was was so it's getting so big and and people knew of it and so <laughs> instead of emails and uh, 
tweets or you know instagrams uh, i what what were coming in by the i mean thick thick things of, of faxes then they were faxes. just me at the at the olympic village so were they curled uh, up on that cheap paper exactly yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah you could hardly read them because they were smear yeah uh, yeah and it, it was unbelievable so i would go i would go in the, go to the uh, usa house every night every night just to you know i'd pick up those and now uh what it started doing though i started to read these things and you get um you get this sense of god these like I don't, I know these people all mean really well because the things they're saying are great, but I don't, I don't need this. I don't need right now. I'll save these for after the games. I don't need to read them right now because it's just ex, extra pressure you don't need. It's just expectations you don't need, especially at you know at this point. So what I what I did too before the games, I stopped reading newspapers. You know, probably six months out. Um, Cause I knew what they were going to say, um, you know, either he can't handle the pressure or, you know, is he going to be thinking about his sister or falling or all of that? And it's like, look, I've, I've been through that. I, you know, I've, I've come to terms with all that. And now it's just, you know, it's here's, here's, I guess a good way to answer your question in terms of advice for me, it's strange because people thought, well, you know, he, He's, he was going so hard and he had this one goal and he didn't stop until I got there. Yes, but here's here's the thing. By the time the Olympics came around, my goal had changed. It wasn't my goal, my last Olympics anyway, it wasn't even to win a gold medal anymore. Um, I knew I was capable. Everybody knew that. My goal was very simple. I just pared it down to I want to I want to skate to my potential at the Olympic games. Now I believed if I did that, I would win, but, but it took, it took, it took that, um, the end game out. It took the result out of my goal. Now I could just go and prepare to be my best. And, mm. you know, for me, I think it was a big deal because it took away a lot of, you know, it was, it allowed me then just, just the process, forget about the result. It's all process. And, you know, it sounds cliche, but I think, I, I truly believe that um, that you know working on the process is the way to go. Yeah, no, uh, and, and there there therein lies some joy. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't find joy, and you talk about the grind, the practice, you know, the exhaustion, if you don't find joy in that, all you're going to deal with is misery in the hope of achieving a goal that you may not achieve even, even like you, you're, you were the, you know, you were the best and you still yeah. came away in the 92 Olympics. Um, you didn't win a gold. You didn't win yeah. a medal, right? Exactly. 92, the third Olympics, you don't win. Correct. So tell me, you know, what's going through your mind there as you come out of that Olympics, you're, what are you, uh, how old were you in 92? Yeah, so I was 26. And that one, and even to this day, it's 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 a really tough, almost baffling one because I think I kind of figured out what went wrong. But um, so I have a great uh, years in between again. And I'm, um, so a couple weeks before those games, these were in Albertville, France, 
we're in Switzerland. We're training as a World Cup, uh, and I I'm skating great. I, I set a I set a world record in the 500 meters. Um, I believe it was a, my first one. And so now we we're thinking we've got two two and a half weeks before the games, and we're still training like pretty you know fairly hard. So now we're thinking, okay, you're you're training through this. You set a world record. Now we get to let's now we rest, you know, because it's time to time to peak, um, time to taper and, and peak. Um, and you're really going to be flying. Well, we go to this little track in Italy, nothing there. And we cut back so much. I think to, just the intensity stopped. It was just like we're resting, but we're not. You still have to you still yeah, have to stay sharp. Take, yeah, those days in there where you work it hard and you make your body, you know, go hard. And I just feel like now, and of course, I'm <laughs> looking way back, but I feel like that was a big deal. So we get to Alverville. I still felt fine, but I, I was just flat. I, I skated. 500 was just just not me. And yeah, okay, I, again, I got fourth. And fourth isn't the end of the world, but... But this time when, you know, you come in as world record holder, hadn't hadn't uh, finished. It was between myself and my German buddy. We were one to every single World Cup leading up. So I hadn't finished worse than second all, all season. And then two guys never beaten me before. And uh, and I finished fourth. So that was heartbreaking. The thousand that year, I had it was already gone before because <laughs> it because I was flat because it, I was devastated after the 500. And, uh, but anyway, so I guess your question. So yeah, after those games, it, we made the decision. I say we, my coach, Peter Miller and myself, he was a gold medalist in 1976. And we kind of looked and said, you know what, now for the first and only time in the history of the Olympics, there's, there's only two years. Um, cause they started to stagger the games, the summer and the winter games. And he said, you know what, um, Cause he wasn't sure if he was going to continue. And he goes, if, if you're in, I'm in, you know, let's go all in and, and let's do this two more years. And right there, I said, there's no question. You know, I'm, I, I, I was heartbroken and I, I, it was devastating, but, um, but then we made that decision. And so we immediately had, had something to start working for right away. So that, you know, that was a, it was a help because, you know, when you, and I'm sure you know this from, from huge games or tournaments or NCAAs, um, you know, there's so much build up to that that when it's over, like win or lose, there's a bit of a letdown mm-hmm. because all of a sudden that next day you just there's nothing there, you know, for you to to get up and train for and work for, and and there was certainly that letdown. But at least now I had uh, I had these next games to to look forward to. And you had a coach. Yes. And and, and it was Peter Miller. Is that Gentleman, yeah. yeah, that 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 uh, a partner, accountability partner, if you will, yeah. somebody who could be in lockstep and push you and and uh, you know mm-hmm. accountability, um, yeah, and, exactly. and, and share in that joy and in that process. Um, all right, so now <clears throat> 1994. So now it's interesting. You may I didn't even think about that. That it was a two-year staggered so if that was 1996 a four-year period yeah. do you think you would have gone for I it think, 
I think I would have continued, but but I may not have been able to make that decision still while in Albertville saying, all right, th- there's no doubt I'm going because um, four years is tough. It's a grind on your mind and body. So I, I think I probably would have, but um, I certainly, you know, caught a break there. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. So you're, you're, you're preparing for these Olympics, the last shot. You're now, I'm assuming, 28 years old. Um, yes. Your fourth Olympic. Yeah. Um, haven't won a haven't won a medal yet, uh, right. and you've always been one of the favorites. And you know, I love the fact you talk about you didn't read before the '92 Olympics. Six months you did not read the newspapers. Um, now it'd be even tougher. You wouldn't be able to look at your phone. <laughs> um, exactly. Exactly. To have that discipline, though, you know, I think I think Coach Smith would always talk about that a disciplined person is a truly free person, and because now you're 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 controlling what you can control you're controlling what you're eating you're controlling what you're reading you're controlling what you're consuming mentally and physically um and and i think that's powerful because discipline is such a an important part of success whether you say i I gotta get to work at six o'clock in the morning i gotta get this report done by five o'clock on friday I've got to show up every day with a good attitude to show my people I got to, you know, whatever it is to do it on a consistent basis. It takes discipline. Yep. No doubt. I mean, it's, yeah, for me, you know, again, that the, the training part of the discipline was always kind of the easy part. Cause I just, I enjoyed that whole part of the process, but, but you're right. And, and it's still, you know, there's still other sacrifices there. There's still, you know, I was now in those last two years, I, you know, was married and started a family, had a little baby girl. And so all that comes into play and uh, which is, you know, a whole different side of, of that, because I think you can, you know, as an athlete, you know, that sometimes you just, you got to be selfish as well in terms of this is what I have to do in order for, you know, to perform, to be my best. And all of a sudden you got these new things thrown at you mm-hmm. that, uh, that becomes part of the, the yeah. What, what do you mean? I got to wake up in the middle of the night and change your diaper. <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly. come on, I got to race tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. 1994. Let's kind yeah. of finish up here. Yeah. Uh, your mindset, I think you touched on, but you know, it's all about perspective. You could yeah. look at it. Hey, I've lost three Olympics in a row. I've lost. I've been defeated. I didn't win. Um, or you could look at it a different way. You're going into your last Olympic. What's your mind frame? Um, what's your biggest fear? Um, you know, have at it. Yeah. So I think those, man, from those last two seasons, like between Alberville and Lillehammer, it was it was just so like looking back, it was so focused. And so, you know, like I said, my, my goal sort of changed. I think deep down, of course, I I, I still wanted to win the Olympics, but I wanted so badly to uh, just to skate to my potential. And then I started um, now the thousand meters for me had was such a challenge. And all of a sudden now I'm having fun with that race. Um, You know, people, you know, told me to forget about the thousand because it was, it was a race that I wasn't 
strong the last lap I would tire in and and I and it, I think it was more mental than anything and then so the last couple of years Pete and I we said you know heck with you know we're not going to give up the thousand here's what we're going to do we're going to train 1500 so my thousand gets strong and we're not going to lose any speed in the 500 and we did it all and and it all worked like we 94 came along from from the first world cup I won uh 500s I won thousands um and so now I'm going in there with so much confidence uh world championships again two weeks before I won that lowered my world record and I'm going in there with uh that great feeling again of just knowing you know it's there's a difference kind of between believing and knowing and Mm -hmm. I knew like I knew how was how good I was skating and I knew I was going to win and 500 comes it's ironically six years to the day of Jane's death, you know, in my fall in Calgary. But, but I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was, uh, I was confident. I felt good and just got to the last turn and probably, you know, I, it's a race that I was, I was so on at the time I, I would say, and this is not, you know, bragging by any means, but if I skated 90%, I, probably would have won the race and but you don't do that at the olympics you Mm -hmm. go out and you know i was gonna i was second pair i was none of the other guys that skated yet the top guys so i was gonna go out they set a world record and they'd be done before they got to the line well (laughs) i i pushed too hard in the last turn instead of kind of waiting for it to come to me and and i and and the ice broke away and i and i slipped and when you slip at that point in a race, right at the apex, because that's when you're gaining your speed to come out of the turn, it's, you know, you're done. And tried to get it back too fast and just kept slipping the whole second half of the turn. And so as soon as I crossed, I knew it was done. Um, and and now, you, you know, now you talk about <laughs> the press and the talking about the pressure and choking and all this again I knew the talk was there I wasn't reading it but I knew it was there and and you got to go through the it's you're required to do press conferences and walk through you know and so I'm getting all the questions but it was a tough three days before that last race you know I even the other skaters felt sorry for me I knew they were coming up and giving me pats and saying hey you know sorry or you know keep it, keep your head up. Those, and it's great. Cause they, you got the respect of the skaters from throughout the world. But again, I just didn't want it at that point. I just, uh, it would just added to all this that was going on. And I had one race left and I wanted that race to come and I wanted it to be over. But I also knew, like, I think everybody had given up by that point because they knew that that 500 was my better event, mm-hmm. but I knew how I felt on the ice and that was a big difference. I knew I was skating great. I knew I could skate a thousand meters. Now I actually liked the race. And so that part being in the back of my mind was just a game changer. And then, you know, then I went out and uh, did what I did. So how somehow, you know, it was, it was, it was one of those races where I felt bad in warm up, but when the gun went off, it just, everything flowed. It was one of those kind of zone races. And, um, you know, I, I knew the whole time I was feeling good. I knew from my split times that my coach was showing me that 
I was good. And I just had to <laughs> last 200 meters. I'm just like, all right, just hang on, finish strong, stay down, stay, keep your technique. And if you do that, it's, this is probably a, at least a medal. I don't know what color, but it's probably a medal. And then I look up when I crossed the line, I saw this big WR uh, wow. world, world record next to my time. And, you know, and even at that point that my top competitor, he had gone, um, but there were still 30 other guys to skate. Now I knew that, you know, almost every one of them had no chance to skate that time, but there were a couple that, that were good and that had beaten me in the past in that race. And so just had to do a little waiting game, but, uh, but again, when I crossed the line, that was the difference. I didn't care because what did I do? I just set my, I just skated to my potential at the Olympics. And what was that? That was my goal. And so I had achieved my goal. So it was, Wow. Uh, there's so many lessons here uh, that I'll summarize in a second. Uh, but just one last comment. Um, what was it like now standing on the podium mm -hmm. after four Olympics, having never stood on the podium before, mm -hmm. receiving a gold medal in a race you didn't like? <laughs> yeah. How did that, how, how'd that feel? Oh, man. Um, pretty hard to put into words, just, just, you know, the relief was one thing, the, but then you start, you know, I remember thinking, man, this is a short song. Like I wanted more <laughs> verses. I, like, I didn't want to come down. I, you're thinking about my sister, thinking about my family, about my parents, about all the, all the coaches along the way, all the little, the people who helped out you know, like my mom and dad, because we couldn't afford, we're going to Europe to train and, and uh, you know, people giving us, my parents, $25 here and there or whatever, just those kinds of things come to your mind. And then all of a sudden, oh, the song's over. You got to get down. You know? but, <laughs> can we do this again? You know, can, can we play that yeah, song right. one more time? Yeah, exactly. And, but unbelievable. And the best part is too, like, so getting home after that and and because when you're there you, of course we're not i'm not watching any of the american coverage you know and and so then got got to come home and just sit in my basement alone and just watch it and then see the reactions of you know my dad and in the crowd and then mom and dad and my brother and sisters and that stuff was pretty cool to see um you know because again when you're there you're just kind of in your own world but uh you realize it, it affects a lot of people. Well, I, I uh, really appreciate you sharing. I'm, I know, um, I'm, I'm sure Jane was looking down at you on that podium with yeah. great pride. Um, I, I think that some of the things that we learned here to me is enjoy the process, mm -hmm. accept challenges. If you didn't accept the challenge of, of doing the 1,000 meters, you yeah. wouldn't have won a gold medal. That's right. And you and, and in the in the in and in the process you set a record. So you yeah. put blinders on. You listen to yourself, your heart, and I call them personal board of directors, you know, your coach, yeah. Coach Miller. Um, yeah. and trained not only for the thousand, but for the fifteen hundred to make it that much tougher so that thousand would be easier. Yeah. So many lessons. Believe versus no. Um Dan. Uh, this has been a real pleasure. I could speak, I could, I could hear you for another hour. Um, <laughs> thank
Thank you so much uh, for being on the Rebound podcast. Uh, the next next episode will have former NCAA champion and college basketball coach Danny Manning to join us on Rebound. Thanks for listening. I welcome any and all feedback. You can reach me on Twitter at Darty Matt. Thank you all.